This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Welcome to the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. Your host is Arnie Chapman. Football is his passion, and he wants you to come along with him to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board his DeLorean. Let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. This time as we step off the DeLorean, the date is January 29th, 1963, and we're sitting there sipping a cup of coffee, a cup of joe, and we open up the newspaper, and what does the headline say? Lambo, Hudson, Blood, Hubbard, and Hall. What is this, you ask? Well, this is the announcement of the Pro Football Hall of Fame inaugural class of 1963 that ended up consisting of 17 players and executives that helped make professional football a reality. Now, transfer this moment 60 years into the future, and we have the next Hall of Fame that will be happening. And this week's guest grew up around the Hall of Fame like it was just you and me heading down the street to Uncle Billy's for a poker night or something. I don't know what it was. But he was able to grow up essentially at the shadows of the Hall of Fame. His dad grew up at the steps of the Hall of Fame. His dad was George Bazika, somebody we've had in the show before. Now, this week's guest is George's son, John Bozica. George and John have a unique relationship revolving around the history of football. And what they're going to be doing here very shortly is they're going to be launching the first episode of their new podcast, the newest one on the Sports History Network, the official PFRA podcast. And if you're interested, the trailer episode is already up. They also have a website dedicated to the podcast over at the official PFRA podcast dot sportshistorynetwork.com. But in this interview, we get to talk to John about growing up with a football historian, George Bazika, living next to the Hall of Fame and everything about how, I guess you could say, quote unquote, normal it felt, unlike for yours truly, it was a once in a lifetime type of experience when I went. And so much more, including, like I said, the PFRA podcast that's about to launch. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this interview with John Bazika. So let's start off with your, I, I'm going to call it your elevator pitch of like your career in sports, just to give, you know, from a football's perspective, the listener of the show, really what you're all about. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it kind of started when I was uh, in college. Um, I broadcasted for our campus radio station, um, did games for Otterbein. Uh, that was a school I went to. It's a little liberal arts college outside of uh, the Columbus area. And um, they play in the OAC conference, which actually coincidentally is one of the top conferences in Division Three football. Uh, they get to see the likes of Mount Union and John Carroll every single year and Baldwin Wallace and uh, Otterbein was typically towards the bottom of that. Um, but uh, it was still fun to call the games and, and kind of get that experience. And I always knew that, that going into broadcasting was something I wanted to do. Um, you know, ever since I was a little kid, I mean, to kind of put this into perspective, whereas most kids would like 
play a game of backyard football and then not really care what they did afterwards. I would like keep stats of our backyard football games and like do joking play by play in the backyard and um, my buddies always kind of laughed whenever I would do that. So I just kind of knew from a young age that I wanted to do it. And then growing up with my dad being a huge football fan as he is and uh, my grandfather, uh, Angelo Bozica, who was a, another huge football guy and his brother, Steve Bozica, who was actually the spotter on Monday Night Football, um, you know, it was kind of just like around my brother and I a lot. And then, uh, once I started doing it and started calling games, I, I immediately fell in love with it. And, um, now I've worked for what, three radio stations in about eight years and, uh, on my third now and hoping to eventually move up. I've covered a lot of high school games. I've covered some college and, um, just recently have been given the opportunity to cover some Browns games as well as doing uh, stringer reports for, for CBS sports. But that's kind of a, uh, an encapsulated look of how I've been in football. I've called other sports as well, but, but obviously football is kind of special because I'd say it garners the largest audience. I want to get into that Monday night football, just a quick minute, but I was three, four, I'm trying to think of when the lions were on by, it was like, probably four weeks ago let's call it i was on the way to like the local michigan chapter of the pfra just a few of us got together just to hang out and on the way there they're talking about hey iron eagle let's take it over to cleveland let's talk to john about what's going on i'm john bazika but wait a second i know that name why do i know that name and then you were you were talking about like they went on a fourth down i'm trying to think of who they were playing they were getting smoked by the time already i don't remember who it was yeah, it was either the Chargers or the uh, Patriots at that point. It was probably the Patriots if they were getting smoked because they lost 38-15 to to the Patriots and never really were in the game from the start. Uh, the Chargers the Chargers went for it on a fourth down late in the game, and I don't know how Brandon Staley survived that move as a head coach, but uh, he decided to do it, and Cade York uh, missed a field goal wide right. So I guess when you... Uh, when you get the other team to miss field goals, it kind of helps you and, and allows you to keep your job. And uh, uh, Browns kickers seem to miss key field goals more than other kickers. Although as a Lions fan, I'm sure you've experienced plenty of missed key kicks uh, late in games over the course of your lifetime. Yeah, I mean, there was a minute where we had Matt Prater. He's like cold as ice until he, I don't know, he tipped the bottle again. I don't know what happened there. But then before that, almost my whole life growing up, it was Jason Hansen. So I, I had one of the greatest kickers of all time when I was younger, but then, yeah, after him, it was like randomness after randomness. And now we've, oh my gosh, I don't know how many field goals and extra points we missed this year. And you can, you can wonder why guns Mahomey, uh, Mr. Dan Campbell goes for it on fourth and down. Sometimes it's because our kicker can't make it. Well, we had Phil Dawson when I was growing up in Cleveland. And, uh, I mean, heck we got a part of the goalposts named after Phil Dawson with the Dawson bar that like, part that extends it over the little like bent part at the back part of it because of the game in 2007 he made a field goal against the Ravens where it hit off one side of the crossbar off of the back side it went through and then it came back I remember my brother and I watching that game at home and screaming at the TV saying it's a good field goal it's a good field goal and then I think it was Ed Hockley who actually made the call and uh, we kind of celebrated watching that Uh, it was one of the few good Browns memories I have growing up there not many of them but uh, 2007 was about the only season that I remember good ones yeah, I mean, you're, you're talking to both of us, of course. You know, the Lions and Browns have a long history before our time. 
but uh, we're not, not not a lot of good history as of late. And we'll, we'll see. We'll keep going on. And this week, you're actually going to be in Detroit, an away away game. So that's kind of cool. They moved it, and I maybe maybe we'll get some uh, extra season, some tickets here for us, or like what do they call uh, revenue for the the Ford's Field? It could be. It could be. I I keep saying though. I, I keep tweeting uh, that I'm I'm upset with the NFL for the decision because the like the Ken Bulldogs and Dayton Triangles in 1923 didn't have the option to fly to Ford's Field or Ford Field if they wanted to play in a you know game on a on a Sunday like that. But I guess in the modern day NFL, it makes more sense. I I think it would have been fun to see Nick Chubb try to run through four and a half feet of snow. Uh, on this Sunday, but uh, obviously we won't get our wish, and uh, we'll be playing in the nice uh, 70 degree indoor weather that is Ford Field. You know, it would have actually probably been Aeroside Plus for the Browns, considering, like you said, with the running game and everything. And it's like when the Lions played against the Eagles, and uh, I mean, this is only my time, of course. I know back in the day they had all sorts of snow games, but when Brian Westbrook ran for I don't know. He probably ran for 1,042 yards against us that day. But, yeah, he just had a huge, huge game. And Calvin Johnson had a pretty good game, too, though, if I remember correct. Yeah, wasn't that the game? It was either Jason Avant or, or like, Calvin Johnson. One of them made, like, a catch, or maybe it was one of the other Eagles wide receivers. But they made a catch, and uh, they went into the ground, and, like, the whole face mask was just covered in snow from top to bottom. I think it might have been Calvin Johnson, but I remember that game when it happened. I think there's something fun about snow games. You talk about that. 2007 season with the Browns actually one of the last times they played the Bills since then but one of the more memorable games that year they played in Cleveland in a snow game and I think Phil Dawson hit two field goals Jamal Lewis rushed for like 160 yards and uh, they scored a safety as well and won like eight to nothing it was like one of those games where both quarterbacks were like nine for 25 and like couldn't throw anything right and um, you know I think there's something about snow games I mean many of the most historic games in football history have happened in the snow or in cold weather with the ice bowl and with the game in Cincinnati in like 1981. So, um, you know, I mean, there's something about that playing in the elements to me that, that makes it more football driven than, uh, if you're just playing like, you know, in, in 80 degree weather in a dome, that's not, that's not really the elements to me. Yeah, I mean, of course, there's arguments on every side, but I remember, you know, I don't play anymore like I did, but the Thanksgiving game, right? You always play with, you pick up games with your family or friends. And yeah, here in Michigan, there was many, many mornings at Thanksgiving where we'd have snow. Most of the time, it wasn't extreme snow by any means, like they're going to get this week in Buffalo, but it was... It was, you know, it's a different element, like you said, to be able to play in that type. And different, it changes the game too on how you play. So, I guess it's one. I guess it's one of those deals. It's just, you know, who knows? We get the other people that on the other side are like, we have the technology to build a dome. Why don't you build a dome? Yeah, yeah, I, I I remember playing many a a Black Friday game in that too, and and always uh, the the amount of. unathletic uh, friends and myself that would uh, take to a field somewhere in West Akron was always a, uh, always a good time. We'd get about three plays and then be out of breath by the end of it. So uh, it was always uh, fun because we were so full of Turkey the day after. And as I said, we were just unathletic to begin with. So, um, you know, but, but good memories for sure. I mean, that's a perfect transition into, so Akron, I mean, you're growing up in like the heartbed, the hotbed of, you know, we're pro football around there in Canton and, you know, unathletic, a lot of the people back then, yeah, they weren't really like, they weren't built for just let's play football. That was the side hustle or whatever you want to call it. So let's start there and let's go with what was it like growing up with, we'll call it a football history family, you know, like being into that. What are some stories you can remember? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I just remember that there was always like a a real high knowledge for not just football history, but like sports history in general. I mean, a lot of kids grow up and their dads collect, you know, I don't know, different things. Like I know some people collect like, you know, different uh, records. They collect, you know, different beer cans from places they've been to. They collect, uh, you know, comic books. But with my dad, it was always, you know, sports books and sports artifacts. So, um, you know, like I, I know that, you know, my mom would be happy if he was able to open like a secondary wing of the house was a library exclusively because of how much space the house takes up books. But um, everything was always just there uh, and, and readily available to read. And uh, I just always remember watching different sporting events. And, and I guess growing up where we did, I mean, I know a lot of people come to Cam to see the Hall of Fame, but to me, it was never like a big deal going to the Hall of Fame. It was never like a, a big production because we went when I was really little. I didn't necessarily understand it, but we went. I gained an appreciation for it. And then um, once I got to be in high school, we went again, and I started appreciating it more. And then, um, you know, once I got into college and I started getting into broadcasting, we started making it the tradition that uh, my dad and his dad had each year, which is they'd go to the Hall of Fame parade. And uh, this past year, actually, we took my uh, wife's dad and her uncle as well with us and we kind of made a day out of it we uh, took some lawn chairs we went and we sat along the route and we you know talked about the game and and you know my dad was like kind of explaining all the things around can to them because he just you know loves the game so much but um yeah I mean I guess it's just you know as, as long as I can remember uh, I've had a knowledge of, of football and sports that that most people um you know, necessarily didn't have because they didn't have somebody who was, you know, teaching the game to them, uh, like my dad did with my brother and I. And, um, you know, I guess we were lucky enough to find friends in high school and college who had the, the same kind of love that we did. But, uh, you know, it was kind of cool. It was cool growing up, being able to, you know, anytime you want to ask a question about football or um, discuss that and, and being able to see the Hall of Fame and, and be so close to it and not have to travel for it. It did kind of just become something that was just normal to us. I mean, going to the Pro Football Hall of Fame wasn't a, it wasn't an event, as I said. It was just like a normal Sunday afternoon thing that we do, and you didn't really make anything of it. You know, it's my my experience growing up was around, very heavily revolved around football too, but different than yours because it was more the current Lions. I mean, Barry Sanders. That was. I mean, I got my coaster right here. Everybody at my and listens to the show at nauseum. Yeah, this dude's going to talk about number twenty again, and he's going to you know idolize him. But I was more like current. It was like what was going on in the Lions at that time. We didn't really discuss the history too much, nor did my father really know much about it, and I didn't have a keen interest until as I grew up. But the Hall of Fame itself, like it was an event. We went there one time. In my entire childhood, that was I didn't go again until 2018 when I went for the for the podcast, and it was of course when we went, it was mostly I mean we enjoyed the football history, but we didn't understand it, remember it. It was just like, hey, here's a picture of Barry Sanders. Let's go take a picture of it. So I could appreciate your experience, your unique experience compared to most other people on this uh, planet, for lack of better terms, which is something you get to do now. Well, and, and I think the other thing too that there was. Um kind of interesting about it too is just that you know where he grew up I mean as I know you've you've talked to my dad but like I mean he grew up on 24th street which is like right up the street from the hall of fame and also as like a kid you know we'd go stay with his mom and, and dad my my grandparents and you know we'd we'd be able to walk out onto their porch 
look off to our right, look down 24th Street. It had a big hill going down it, and you'd see the Pro Football Hall of Fame and Fawcett Stadium and everything that was over there. And, like, it, it really just, you know, kind of existed in our lives. And I guess because we didn't really, you know, view it like it was something to go to. I mean, because we'd, we'd go take walks with our grandfather on you know, Saturday mornings when we'd stay for a Friday night and he'd walk us through Stadium Park up to the Hall of Fame. And if it was around the Hall of Fame time, we'd see all the big pictures up on Fawcett Stadium of who was going in that year. Um, you know, we'd, we'd go around town and like everything in Canton, for those that haven't been, it's, it's very football-centric. So, you know, everywhere you go, I mean, there's something football-related. And again, because he grew up there, my grandfather did and my dad did, it's like they knew all about the the history of different things, where the Canton Bulldogs played, where the Maslin Tigers played, where, you know, maybe some of the first plays happened and, and things like that. So those were, you know, pretty common stories around, like, uh, you know, story time dinner tables, I guess you could say, that we would have on, like, holidays where, you know, most people, as I said, were maybe talking about other things. We were talking about the history of the game. And also, I think the other interesting thing about Canton and Stark County is the love they have for, like, even high school football now. I mean, the Masson-McKinley rivalry is there every year, and not to say that that plays, like, a large role in professional football, but the fact that it's one of the oldest high school rivalries, and I kind of grew up around that as well, it, it created a love for the sport because it's it's like a college game. I mean, it's almost like a professional game for those two communities since they don't have pro teams anymore. When those two teams meet, it's like eighteen to 20,000 people go to the game, and to someone who was like seven when they went to their first game, that seems like, you know, seems like tons of people and like the biggest event of a lifetime and, and just getting to grow up around that, it kind of gave me a, a unique perspective of the game, I guess. It's kind of like where I grew up was a tiny little like touristy town in Michigan. And at the time, well, I shouldn't say I grew up, but I grew up near, I went to school there. So then when I left for a little bit and I came back and as you get older, it's like, wow, this is actually pretty cool. It's like, I appreciate it more and I appreciate why other people always wanted to travel. It's considered, I don't know if it's like the number two or number, it's like, it's one of the biggest like tra- touristy destinations in Michigan, just period. And they, you know, it's, growing up, you're like, oh, okay, cool. But it, to a different level, you enjoyed football as opposed to, I didn't really care about what was going on. And same concept. Do you like go back ever and you know, like when you're there, does it like something like what's a moment that when I said that just pop in your head when you're walking through the hall and you're like, this is when I went through with my grandpa or somebody. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think like the the memory of the weekend of Hall of Fame weekend taking place, like just remembering being over at, at their house, you know, having a big meal, watching um, the town grow with people, um, you know, watching how. They would have, you know, a couple weekends before that, they always launch hot air balloons right over the Hall of Fame. You know, I remember sitting on the porch seeing that, um, you know, just the the feeling that, that surrounded the city when they would put up the banners, as I said, on the stadium and seeing who was going into the class and maybe asking who, uh, you know, who... Uh, uh, a John Hanna was, or who a, uh, you know, a, a Fritz Pollard was, or, you know, who some of these guys were that were going into the Hall of Fame that, that I didn't have a, a knowledge of who they were, but gaining the knowledge through seeing their pictures and knowing how big the event was. And um, I don't know that it's one specific memory. It's just, you know, part of the unique thing about going to the McKinley football games at the high school level is they played in Fawcett Stadium. So, 
Fawcett was right next to the Hall of Fame, so we always sat on the McKinley side, and, like, every single Friday night, for, like, the longest time of my life, like, we were going to games there, so, like, every Friday night, like, part of our experience was go out to eat at a local place in Canton, drive over to Fawcett Stadium, sit on the home side, and as you're watching the game, like, you see the lights on the rotunda of the Hall of Fame. So it's, like, it's just, like, it was just there. You know, and, and I guess just the memories of being there for that, having the conversations of, like, my grandfather telling me, like, oh, yeah, I remember when we went and watched, you know, Joe Namath talk on the steps of the Hall of Fame or uh, saw Jim Thorpe come through here or saw, you know, Curly Lambeau or whoever it might have been, you know, just the names that came through the area only for a split second. And the fact that his brother was a spotter on Monday Night Football, it's like, he had a relationship with Frank Gifford, and he had a relationship with Howard Cosell, and he actually drove Frank Gifford, I think, when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. He was, like, his driver in his car, so um, Frank Gifford waved to my grandfather and said hi to him as he was, you know, driving through through Canton, so it's, it's like there's, you know, it just kind of was there. It was just always kind of, like, around us, and, you know, even if we weren't, like, involved with anything with it, just because you kind of grow up around it and you have somebody who was involved with it and you take a love for it, it just kind of, it just kind of exists in your life. And I guess you just kind of develop the memories as you go. Yeah. And speaking of memories, that's one reason why you and your dad are perfect candidates, not to mention you have that beautiful, booming voice for radio, but this new venture for the sports on the Sports History Network, uh, the official PFRA podcast. Let's get into that. Maybe tell the listener of the show a little bit what the vision is for the podcast. Yeah, I mean, we, we plan to obviously talk about the PFRA a lot and, and promote the, the values that it, you know, has, has put forward and how it tries to promote the history of the game and, and tell its many stories and, and not just the stories of Hall of Famers, but uh, the stories of maybe the guy that didn't get the time in the spotlight, um, you know, that that had a great moment in NFL history. And, and that's obviously part of something that my dad and I want to plan to do is have on you know, if we can, eventually players and different things like that, but also reaching out to the players who, you know, maybe only had a cup of coffee in the NFL and, and discussing their careers with them and talking to them because I, I think part of it is also about preserving the legacy of the game. And I know that's something that the Hall of Fame tries to do, but I think what the PFRA tries to do just from the outside looking in with what my dad does, I think it's also about taking those little stories involving the the backup quarterback. I think one of the great things that my dad got to do was when they had the event up in uh, Green Bay, they had Zeke Bratkowski, the the backup quarterback for the the Packers there, who backed up Bart Starr. And, you know, just learning his stories, I know people would say, well, who cares about a backup quarterback that played behind a a two-time Super Bowl champion? Well, that guy experienced all the same things and sometimes different things that Bart Starr did and and had different experiences with Coach Lombardi that he got to learn about. So um, I obviously think that's part of it. You know, bringing that in, talking to some of the different writers that we have and different members through the Coffin Corner magazine that the PFRA puts out every single uh, month when they can. And, uh, you know, it's it's just a really cool thing that, that we get to do it and that obviously you guys have, have kind of taken us under your wing, too, with allowing us to use the the podcast venue to be able to do it, which is, is very nice of you and everything like that. And um, I, I just hope that we're able to, to find unique stories that – that maybe people haven't heard before. Um, I think people know the big stories of the NFL, but 
as I said, I mean, each team each year has 53 players, and of all of those players, there's probably about 10 that never see the field. So I guess the hope is maybe to tell some of those stories and find some of those guys because you'd be surprised how many guys are out there that, as I said, had just like one down in the NFL. But if you play one down in the NFL, you have a lot of great stories being at practice and so many different things. And sometimes those stories are actually better than the guys who tell their stories all the time because they don't get the opportunity to talk on a platform. Um, I will also say that my wife is, is sitting here with me while I'm recording this with you. And uh, I know that, that she hates it when people compliment my voice because she always thinks my ego gets too big for that. So uh, just careful how much you say that. Yeah, we'll make sure that we keep it on the download then. And in the meantime, maybe she can play this game with us too. So I got my DeLorean right here and you get to go back in time and what we're going to do is kind of like the Bill and Ted Excellent Event. Was it? I think it was Excellent Adventure where they took the phone booth, the British phone booth back in time, and then they brought all the dudes. Okay, so let's play DeLorean, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. You get to go back in time and put, pull, pluck four football figures from history that are no longer around, and you get to bring them now to talk to them on your current, the official PFRA podcast. Gosh, I don't know who I would say that I would bring back. Let's... I've never had anybody ask that question to me before. Um, I don't know. Gosh, that's really that's a really great question. That's that's something I've never been asked before, and I've never really thought about it. Um, I would say Jim Thorpe. That would be one guy. I think just because of what surrounded him, you know, the history that surrounded him, being associated with the Canton Bulldogs, and and being so closely related to what was the birth of the NFL. Um, and then I would say another guy that was really closely related to him, too, with the Canton Bulldogs was Ralph Hay. I'd like to bring those two back and, and kind of hear about some of the meetings that happened at the the birth of the NFL, if you will. Um, I know I'm going way back on all these, but another guy that I think would be really interesting to talk to from that time period was Fritz Pollard. Um, and I think the reason why that would be so interesting is because he was a black player in a league that was predominantly white in a time in the 1920s when, you know, who knows the things he went through, the the things that were said to him, um, the, the people and how they treated him in different situations. So uh, those three come right to the top of my mind and, and guys I'd want to talk to. And then, I don't know, like more recent guys. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think a lot of the guys I would want to talk to are, are still around right now, but uh, probably... Probably Vince Lombardi. I mean, you know, it's it's tough to say that you wouldn't want to talk to Vince Lombardi just because, I mean, he's, he's Vince Lombardi. I mean, the trophy is named after him. He won the first two Super Bowls. He had such a great career associated with so many different players. And, I mean, you learn about all the stories about, like, Lombardi time and about, you know, what he did for the city of Green Bay and, um, you know, how he kind of treated things when he was there and just how he was for the players, how he graded them after different games and, um, you know, just I, I think there would be something about meeting him. Um, and if I could with one extra, Paul Brown would be the other guy uh, just because of his association with starting the Browns and beginning the organization that, that so many people around this area love. And, and again, his his tie to this area, coaching at Maslin, um, coaching at Ohio State, uh, coaching guys like Otto Graham and Marion Motley and so many of the players that he did for the Cleveland Browns, uh, it'd be hard not to want to meet him as well. But um, I guess the first four I mentioned, then I gave myself a, I gave myself a fifth starter if I'm an, an NBA player as well. So 
give myself a, a fifth starter round out my starting five. No, you're good. I mean, basically, I always tell people that, well, you took the keys in my DeLorean and you knocked me out like, uh, was it uh, Jessica Parker, <laughs> whoever it was in the sideline. So you can you can take it for as long as you wish. Uh, with that being said, so first off, I got to remind the listener of the show again. So this podcast is about to come out. The trailer is already up and live so they can listen to what it is, uh, uh, you know, what, what, what the intentions are. The official PFRA podcast. And do we have an idea of when the first episode is going to launch by chance? Well, our hope is the week after Thanksgiving, and uh, we're hoping that our, our first guest will be the uh, archivist at the Pro Football Hall of Fame and John Kendall. Um, we've both kind of developed a really great relationship with him over the time when, when I worked in radio in the Canary, and then my dad, through doing um, different things with PFRA, has oftentimes gone there to research things, uh, and he's always been very welcoming to anybody so he's kind of our hope for our first guest and and again that's the 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 week right after thanksgiving we're hoping to kind of put that together and and hopefully have a a first show launched and then you know we're we're hoping to make it as often as we can it it just really kind of depends around our schedules and and when we can get guests i think we want to make it so that we have a guest each time because again i mean there's stories that both of us can tell but there's something about you know having a, a third voice, you know, and, and someone who's associated with the game and has stories that uh, can add some color to it that I guess uh, two guys from, from Northeast Ohio can't necessarily bring each and every show. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, we're all looking forward to it, and I'm sure all of the uh, PFRA members, once they start hearing that this is available, they're going to start jumping all over it because you have a nice little, you know, community that's super interested, and obviously anybody – knows George and you, they're going to want to listen to it. So let's give you, tell your other person in the room to shut their ears for five seconds. Uh, we got to give you some love. Uh, your your voice work. So if anybody was interested in maybe bringing you on to get some voice work, let's give you some love so you can tell them where to go to find you. Uh, I guess if they want to find me at John Bozik on Twitter, uh, J-O-N-B-O-Z-E-K-A. Um, and if they wanted to email me, uh, John J O N dot B O Z K ninety three dot or at gmail dot com. Uh, they can find me at both of those places, and uh, yeah, I, I would love to, to help in any way. Um, you know, anything to to help out with um, different productions of different you know podcasts and things like that. I, I think it's then one of the great things is that people can use different platforms like this. I think it's really great what you're trying to do, Arnie, with all of this because I think that. You know, in today's world, I, I know a lot of people think that that radio is the only way to to produce a, a a high quality show. But with the technology that we have in today's world, I don't think we all need to be like uh, Marconi and and have a terrestrial radio station to be able to produce the content that we want. It's a lot easier today, and uh, we don't need to have all the high tech gear. It's just you need a computer and a microphone and uh, and a place to record it. And I mean, you can you can be your own. Your own Keith Jackson, your own Howard Cosell, whatever you want to be today. It's really that easy. Yeah, I mean, I, I grabbed my phone because this little iPhone right here, granted, even like the first generation iPhone had more power in your pocket than uh, Mr. Ronald Reagan had, you know, covering, you know, dealing, taking care of the entire free world. So let's get to, <laughs> and, and another thing too, for the listener of the show, while you're listening to this, uh, the subdomain is uh, available 
the official pfrapodcast.sportshistorynetwork.com. And on there, there's also the contact page. So you can reach out and then we can get in touch with John and George that way as well. If you have any questions, feedback, suggestions for the show. But before we let you go, John, let's go ahead and give the listener of the show some last words of gridiron knowledge nuggets to the lens of the experiences that you've had at the steps of the, the Hall of Fame. Oh my goodness, that's another really interesting question. Uh, that again, I've I've never uh, been asked about that. But um, you know, I, I think one of the unique things that um, probably the coolest thing that that I've gotten to do is each year on on the morning of the parade. Um, up until a couple years ago, one of my jobs was to go to uh, a building downtown. I always know it as the AEP building, which is the American Electric Power Building. Free plug for them, I guess, on the podcast. Um, but it's what the building is named after. Uh, and that's where all of the Hall of Famers, ex-players, you know, players, different people would gather before. And um, I always knew people that were like kind of help organizing it in there. And uh, they would have breakfast for them in there. They would have drinks for them in there, all types of different things. And um, just getting to spend time interviewing different players, uh, like talking to uh, one guy that always comes to the top of my mind is Willie Lanier, uh, the fantastic uh, linebacker that played for the, the Kansas City Chiefs in the 1960s. And, you know, I thought that we were going to have a simple conversation about football and he ended up talking about uh, the book Don Quixote and like had some really like, you know, uh, existential quotes about the game that, that had nothing to do with the X's and O's of it. Um, Anthony Munoz and I, the, the left, I think it was left tackle or left guard or lineman that played for, uh, the Bengals. Uh, he and I kept playing like interview tag the whole time. I ran into him on a Thursday and he said, I'll, I'll do that interview for you. And then I ran into him Saturday morning. He said, I want to go eat breakfast. And then finally we got to do the interview and we only got to talk for a minute because, uh, they called him downstairs and he all of a sudden didn't have time, but he was very gracious and, and taking the time to talk. Uh, Fred Bolitnikoff was really, really cool. I remember, uh, my, my broadcast partner was there and he was trying to get a picture of, of Fred Bolitnikoff and I. And as he was doing that, Bolitnikoff kind of yelled at him and said, would you get that camera out of our face, man? Um, which was kind of funny. Actually, all the Raiders from that team that I talked to kind of had that attitude because, uh, that was the same year that Kenny Stabler went in and I talked to Bolitnikoff, who obviously threw to him or he threw two, and then I obviously talked to uh, Dave Casper, who he also threw to, and, like, Dave Casper only gave me, like, two questions, and, like, got mad at me when I didn't ask something about Ken Stabler. Um, I told him, I was like, oh, it's going to be about Ken Stabler, and then I started asking him something else, and he was like, you broke my rule, I'm out of here. Um, and, and that was kind of funny how he did that. Uh, the one thing that I regret, and it was something that my wife and, and my parents and, and some relatives pointed out to me, is that there was a picture taken of me, and I'm on my phone, and Brett Favre is like three steps in front of me, and I'm on my phone, and I could have obviously turned around and talked to him, but the issue was that he was going in that year, and I guess through kind of reading the room of those situations, you never really talk to the guys who were going in, because one, they're either very hungover that morning from the night before when they were celebrating at a country club in the Canton area, or they really don't want to give you any of their time. Um, and, and typically it's, it's the first of those two, um, that they are typically very hungover from the night before. Uh, I've, I've seen many a player walk in with sunglasses and with a hat on and with, you know, about three pairs of shirts on to try to cover up some of the things that they might've been doing the night before. So, um, but it's, it's always just, you know, it's so cool that, and then the last story I'll tell you was, uh, 
Jackie Slater. He played for the Rams. A uh, really great lineman, I want to say. Um, and he and I had gone back and forth about doing an interview. And uh, eventually, uh, one of the things is the rumor these guys would eat, because I was media, they would never let me in there. Because they knew if they did that I would just interview everybody who was in there and, and those guys would never have any time to eat. So... Jackie Slater was like one of the last three players that was in there. And I pushed my way into the room and sat next to him. And he and I started chatting and we had a conversation and uh, we were going back and forth and we did an interview and he was great with it and some great stuff that he told me. And then he's coming down the street in the parade and I'm sitting in like the front row after that because I was able to pick up and sit with my wife and, and my dad and mom. And uh, as he's going down the parade, he points at me and he starts giving me the business in the middle of the parade and uh, I kind of give it back to him a little bit, but uh, just, it, it's really cool to have those little moments to connect with players. Um, gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm remembering more stories as I'm talking to you. I don't want to take up too much time here, but I remember sitting outside of a building and, and seeing Joe Namath on the other side of a glass window and I'm trying to like, knock on the door to get in and they won't let me in to talk to Joe Namath. And then um, last two things I'll say one Lawrence Taylor sitting outside of the Civic Center in Canton, uh, smoking a cigarette, and I walk up to him and I said, hey, LT, can you, can you give me five minutes for an interview? And he said he couldn't. He said he just wanted to relax and didn't want to be talked to, um, and I granted that, but he and I had a conversation, and for as mean as he was on the field, he's very nice off the field. Um, and then uh, last thing, I interviewed Jack Youngblood, uh, who played for the Rams. He had a big cigar in his hand. He puffed the cigar out. And we were talking sports and politics at the time, and he and I disagreed on the political side of things. And he took a big puff of his cigar, and then he blew the smoke right into my face after I disagreed with him on politics. So uh, as mean as he was on the field, I guess he was just as mean off the field, I guess you could say. But uh, just being around those guys, hearing their stories, um, spending time picking their brains, it's just they want to be talked to. And I know a lot of times people would say that they don't want the attention. They just want to be quiet, but they like leave it, reliving the memories. And, and it's cool to kind of drag some of those things out of them. And, you know, I know that some of them have diminishing memories with different things they've been through. And sometimes you say some of them and it like jogs their memory about something. And it's just like, you never know when, you know, a little phrase is going to, you know, jog their memory about a, a coach or a player or somebody that they played with. So it's, it's just cool to be around them for that period of time. And I guess that's, that's the one memory in the in the overall memory is getting to talk to those guys. That's what really stood out to me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Football History Dude. Make sure you're the first to get the next episode. Please subscribe on your podcast player of choice and head on over to thefootballhistorydude.com for the show notes and more information on the history of the NFL. And remember, dudes, where we're going, we don't need roads. <laughs>